Life, Lolita Slacks. This is Kim Senklip Harvey, and you're listening to episode five of the Indigenous Cultural Evolutionist. On this week's episode, I'll be sharing with you and reading my latest blog entitled Bearing Witness to Indigenous Love, and I'll also be sharing with you a guided reflection I did in my Lenonit Indigenous Methodologies course, where we were asked to write about our obligations and responsibilities to self, family, community, and nation. Thanks so much for tuning in, and let's get to it. So in my Lenon at 500 course, we are asked to do a, a bunch of readings every week, and then we come into class and discuss them. Um, and then some weeks we're asked to do a guided reflection, so we're, uh, write a thousand words um, on what's percolating around a question in relationship to the readings. So this week, the question was around obligations and responsibilities, and I will read to you what I submitted to my professor in response and my guided reflection. My guiding philosophy is, find your role, fulfill your responsibilities, and be of service to your community. I am a storyteller for my peoples, and thus my obligations fall under delivering on those responsibilities. It is my teachings and values that we cannot serve anyone else until we have taken care of ourselves. So my first responsibility is to self, to take care of me, physical, mental, and my spiritual health, so I position myself to be able to serve my people. For me, this works in outward concentric circles, so I'll reflect in that way and share with you, starting with self. In Eurocentrism, Colonization and Resistance, Hart says that, quote, our teachings have existed longer than I can imagine. I echo this sentiment and believe it's why we have existed in holistic relationality with the universe without adverse environments like the current climate crisis we face for time immemorial. Embodying these teachings and this non-hierarchical knowing is something I work on every day. Hart goes on to say that, quote, Aboriginal peoples start to believe that we are incapable of learning and that the colonizers' degrading images of Aboriginal people and ways of being are true. This resonates with me in relation to self-image and understanding. As a theater practitioner who has some power, I feel very responsible to reclaim and resurge the way Indigenous people see ourselves. With my work in Kamloopa, I used every opportunity to show us in our truth as powerful beings, sovereign, self-determinating. Hart refers to this reassertion as the decolonial and, quote, Aboriginal approach. And I know it is not just my responsibility to decolonize myself, but to unearth the systems and conditioning of colonial oppression to give breath and light to the interior Salish parts of myself. This is the indigenization that must occur in tandem to decolonial work to ensure we honor this as a holistic process. The responsibilities I have to my family, especially as I take on more of the matriarchal roles in my immediate family, is a lot about supporting and nourishing. I find a lot of the work that I do is about holding space. In Resurgence and Relationality, Star Blanket speaks to resurgence being a, quote, awakening of sorts. 
I know attending university is a privilege and it is my responsibility to share what I'm learning with my family and community to facilitate and support this process of awakening. I really appreciate Star Blanket speaking to this process happening on our own terms. I find that the Canadian state wants there to be some kind of one-size-fits-all formula to solving the, quote, Indian problem. And the truth that Star Blanket speaks to is that it's so particular to each person, family, clan, nation. Leroy Little Bear starts off Jagged Worlds Colliding saying, quote, One of the problems with colonialism is that it tries to maintain a singular source of order by means of force and law, suppressing the diversity of human worldviews. This supports Star Blanket's argument that indigenous resurgence is specific and relational, and colonization in its structure works against indigenous ontologies that are kin and relation-specific. There is an incredible amount of agency framing it as relational. Star Blanket goes on to say, quote, It positions resurgence as a dynamic and ongoing process that is constantly changing and comprises a multiplicity of everyday relations. This literally made me exhale and inhale with so much peace. Knowing there is power and practice in working on a multitude of relations on a daily removes this colonial constructed guilt I sometimes feel of missing a protest or not, quote, decolonizing an institution, which is practically impossible and an expectation that is extraordinarily overwhelming and inherently colonial in nature due to its homogenous application. The work to indigenize relations and family is complicated and sometimes exhaustive, and so I find that there are multiple entry points to serving the community. I'm navigating how I can keep the privacy of my family's stories and kin separate from work, which is very public as I work as a theater maker and storyteller. Honoring individuals' assorted perspectives with all of my work is one of the most challenging decolonial processes. Little Bear says colonization has left, quote, jagged worldviews amongst indigenous peoples. Bear speaks to this clash and contrast of worldviews being at the core of the challenge for peaceful embodied indigenous epistemology and ontology. It is a big part of my community responsibilities to deeply listen to my peoples and have my work reflect this collection of worldviews and trying to find connecting relations. I find that Indigenous nation politics and governance are severely impacted by the residue of colonial jagged worldviews. I have worked in or in direct relation with municipal, provincial, and federal governance and found in its systemic nature divisive, territorial, and completely jagged. It's my belief that this dichotomy is purposeful in its intersections with Indigenous politics because it forces these contrasting worldviews to be oppressively shoved into one or many systems that act like a shredder instead of a container to receive and support a pluralistic pedagogy. In the same idea of self-care, self-spiritual nourishment, I approach my commitments and responsibilities to my nation within the approach of sharing and bringing knowledge back into the community versus a resource and extractive process that is the basis of Canadiana. Smith speaks to imperialism and colonizing knowledge deriving from the age of enlightenment. The name is super egotistical and reflects the racist notions that enlightenment brings in the ideology of modernity. Mar- 
in relation to indigenous peoples. This work, address, this work to address and refuse systems that the Age of Enlightenment and then imperialism and then the Industrial Revolution has brought to my indigenous communities has had detrimental impacts on our indigenous nation-centered, self-stimulant and sustaining economies. The, sov- the sovereignty we work towards in being able to take care of ourselves as independent nations is complex and personal. I won't share my ongoing practice and details of that work here. In respect to my personal protocols and in responsibility and service to the courageous work that my nations need to do in private. I am in an ongoing battle, refusing imperialism, colonialism, and patriarchal hegemonic paradigms to rigorously ensure my silk otin, silk, dekel, and kunaha ontological truths breathe, be nourished, and are the worldviews that I center. I work on and I am responsible for finding the new relational ontology between indigenous and non-indigenous peoples that ensures every organism's dignity and existential right to be at peace. I work towards giving the eighth generation an environment they are inherently proud of because of what we, the seventh generation, collectively contributed to humanity's ethnosphere. And if we don't urgently do that work, We won't have future generations, and that is something I will not be responsible for. From my ancestors to yours, in service and responsible for all of our future generations. So that was my guided reflection um, with regards to my kind of personal um, pedagogy around how I work. Um, I really appreciated having the time to think about this um, and, and, and reflect on how I actually work and remind myself of the metrics of remembering um, how I can celebrate and live in joy remembering and reminding myself and checking that um, I'm living in this way of taking care of self and then family and then community and then nations and I feel like in those kind of outward concentric circles if I'm feeling overwhelmed or things are too much that I kind of breathe in and go back to self and that kind of self mental spiritual physical care is incredibly important to the work that we do and i know that when i am struggling i know that one of those um is off um i really enjoyed the readings and uh, and i recommend that you go um and find some of them Uh, i'll link to them on my blog um particularly um this idea of about um that star blanket talks about this kind of awakening and decolonial process happening on the daily um and very unique to oneself i think i've been reading a lot about um or seeing a lot of people's social media posts um on instagram and stuff around this really colonial tactic of comparative analysis to others um and i just don't think that's useful i don't i don't see how or why or what that does because our metrics of service are very different and so a lot of the things um a lot of the time I tell young people who say like you know how do we know that our work is being valued how do we know um 
uh, if we're serving our community. And I said, you really have to spend time figuring out, you know, what I said off the top with my guiding philosophy is what is your role and what are your responsibilities? And those have to be fulfilled before you can be in service. Um, because I have found and I, I have seen a lot, especially with um, indigenous matriarchs, is that they immediately go to service, service to the community without taking care of self. And it's really important for our young ones to see our women taking care of themselves, um, centering that work so that when they grow up, they center themselves. Um, I've seen so many moms and that's uh, parenting is... Um, the most incredible responsibilities and 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 I've seen you know my mom work so hard and I just have to remind her like go do something good for you mama go take care of yourself because um, this ability to give um, uh, has to be nourished um, through taking care of self um, I also really appreciate the idea that colonialism colonialism um, creates what Little Bear calls these like jagged worldviews and working within my community and nations to understand that and try and um, coalesce and create and embrace indigenous like silk worldviews, silkoteen worldviews and um, also you know in one of our previous classes and we were talking about this today during Skyborn um, Caroline Victor was saying, you know, it's so important for us to really reflect on what do we share, how do we share it, how much does it um, go to the public, and in last week's course, we were in the methodologies course, really talking about what is public and what is private, and knowing that um, not everything will be shared, and so I appreciated in the Indigenous course that when I can write down, and I will not be sharing this publicly, publicly, I will not be sharing this in this reflection, that I know my professor and the class is going to receive that and respect that and I love that that can be said and I know that that is such an indigenous ontology to respect when people are making um, choices to not share everything and I wanted to kind of end it with uh, something that's been very alive in me these days around what we are responsible for and also thinking about um, what I don't want to be responsible for and I don't want to be responsible for the eighth generation inheriting an environment that is in a complete crisis and I fear with um, colonial worldviews um, imperial hegemony it's pushing us further and further away from centering indigenous worldviews and ourselves are uh, reflections um, of the climate and they're so interrelated and we have to get ourselves healthy and balanced um, and I work on that and I fail on that on the daily um, but I, I get back up and I'm conscious of it and um, in fact I was just reading something around um, I think it was in Pima Kodron was talking about the idea that you know you wake up and you set goals for the day and you go about trying to accomplish them and really celebrate and live in joy when you do and then at the end of the day even if you you know accomplished a piece of something that you really need to honor that and that if you didn't you need to honor and and be really at peace with the fact that you were cognizant of that because um I find that a lot of self uh, self shame and negative self talk um is also a part of colonial conditioning that I see a lot of people struggling with 
So that was my guided reflection. I don't know if I'm going to post that on the blog yet, but um, I'd be happy to share it if you email me and want a copy. Uh, otherwise, just uh, you can play this back and listen to it again. So let's move on to um, my latest blog post, which was published um, on October 3rd, 2019, entitled Bearing Witness to Indigenous Love. For me, a big part of creating stories of Indigenous love is asserting our birthright to share the experience of our love in all ways and at all stages. Indigenous peoples have had almost no space to experience Indigenous love in open internation capacities. When is the last time you watched a movie or seen a play that captures Indigenous love? especially one that revolves around joy and is not exclusively a response to colonial violence. And my alive understanding of Indigenous love centers our cosmic relational bonds between Indigenous peoples that exist from an Indigenous paradigm. When have you seen this? I'm not even sure I've ever seen one. I have seen hundreds of white love stories and or BIPOC love stories led and or framed in imperial hegemonic notions of love, which is more white supremacist beliefs of what BIPOC erotic and intimate love should be. I'm finding with my work in Kenloop, Kamloopa, and Break, colonists try to deny our dignified right to share and sovereignly create and exist in indigenous love. So many are unconsciously conditioned to aggressively try and oppress white notions of love and white historical experiences of love on present-day indigenous relations. So please hold the that's cliche or overdone, which I've heard from many colonists. Hold the oppression and double check yourself because I did not order a big old greasy bag of colonial love with the side of colonial comparative analysis. And then I put in this dope gif of Tantu Cardinal and smoke signals tearing apart the bannock. The idea that you've, quote, seen this before or heard this idea is false and contributing to an erasure of an entire group of peoples. Today on Twitter, after a full week's work of institutional institutional work, I tweeted this. Can we make colonial oppressionistic a genre? It would be the biggest one. Uh, eyebrow raised emoticon. I slapped it on Facebook and wrote, well, insert Canadian play, falls into the colonial oppressionisms of the 1990s era where white men were produced at an overly saturated and violent rate, rate which supported the colonial supremacist ideology that cis white men were the only occupants of planet Earth. Colonial oppressionism can be applied to art practices of all disciplines that center and perpetuate colonial Euro-colonial hegemony. Oppressionism attempts to erase and reduce the existence of BIPOC lives and impede our cultural evolution. I use attempt because I think it's a colonial tactic to get us to accept that, we were, that there were periods where our people's lives and cultures were entirely, quote, gone. I refuse that state-perpetuated myth because when our cultures were made illegal by the state and went underground, they were being practiced privately and internally, and they were and always will be alive within us. It is another state tactic of genocide to apply colonial metricization to try and quantify and qualify the presence of indigenous culture completely by state surveillance and recognition. 
colonial, colonial impressionisms impacts are far-reaching and continue today. Oppressionistic work positions BIPOC peoples to have to relentlessly defend an equitable existence. I strongly believe that to truly decolonize and indigenize ideologies, we need more terms to clarify and understand what was and is a colonial experience and what is an indigenous one. That way we can be accountable to our people's legacies and respectful to our present experiences. I make the offer of the concept of colonial oppressionism to Indigenous students, practitioners, creators, and community members to refuse colonial oppression and have the language to specify how a lot of settler-centric peoples, practices, and art have and continue to contribute to the attempted erasure of BIPOC peoples and our culture. To say that you've seen something via a white experience feeds white supremacy and supports the notion that all experiences are through a white paradigm and white ontological understanding, which is false and attempts to omit indigenous worldviews. We deserve these clarifications. It is our birthright to be given the time and distinct space for our experiences. I'm carving that time and space because I believe our shared humanity depends on non-Indigenous peoples bearing witness to the full scope and experience of what Indigenous love is. So hold the comparative analysis to Eurosettler white love and give me all the Indigenous love. They are new and fresh and unseen and the foundation for creating joy and nourishing our spirits. I believe these Indigenous love stories are in the heart of how we will give energy and support the cultural evolution for the new equitable relationship between Indigenous and non-Indigenous peoples. With energy to those working on all forms and experiences of Indigenous love, Kim. P.S. Authors to look at and into about about non-colonial love is Leanne Somoksak-Simpson, Gwen Benaway, Tennille Campbell, Joshua Whitehead, and Billy Ray Belcour. And if you know any more examples and want to share this post, put them in the comment section. And congratulations to Gwen Benaway on your recent GG nomination for Holy Wild. Hashtag Indigenous Love. Hashtag Indigenous Theater. Hashtag The Indigenous Cultural Evolutionist. So, uh, this blog has kind of like two things going on, and sometimes I wonder if I should do separate blogs for them, and then I'm like, I'm kind of short on time, let's just find a way to make this work. Um, and I think the, the, one of the bigger things that came out of this blog and, and this week was this genre creation of colonial oppressionism, and I think it's really important, um, to, as I said in the blog, be able to clarify um, genres specific that aren't all white-centered. How do Indigenous students, practitioners, artists, community members speak about our stories while we're centering our worldviews and not always making the status quo um, a white paradigm um, and ontological, you know, experience. And I think for me, one of the reasons why I kind of like this colonial oppressionism 
is the idea that it does capture、uh, a lot of work and also a worldview when people are speaking about work. Because it's exhausting having to constantly clarify or defend or maneuver non Indigenous peoples to an Indigenous worldview.、Um, and it's more oppression to just assume that we're going to talk about everything, we're going to discuss everything, and Indigenous work is going to be、um, reflected back or.、Um, Be critically reflected on via a white experience. So I make this offer to the community.、Uh, I know that there w a s a couple academics on the Facebook thread who were like, I'm gonna use this, I'm gonna quote this, I'll, I'll give you a credit. I just make the offer that if this is useful to you, like anything else in the blog or the podcast or my work, take it, use it, apply it. It, again, it goes back to kind of my Lenonit reflection. I am in service to、um, creating、uh, a more peaceful environment. And if that means you want to use colonial oppressionism as a genre, by all means, slack, take it, use it, and apply it.、Um, so that's it for this week's episode of the Indigenous Cultural Evolutionists. Um, please subscribe andor share.、Uh, it really helps me out and it helps、um, me continue and live up to my responsibilities to the communities. You never know who's going、uh, to be able to hear、uh, this podcast or get involved with the blog.、Um, and a share really supports that and helps me amplify the work. So take care of yourself,、uh, center Indigenous love. Use colonial oppressionism as a genre and maybe take some time to think about or reflect what your responsibilities and obligations are and share in the comment section or send me a message on how you're accomplishing those, how you're challenged by them, and how we're all contributing to our cultural evolutionists. Waikh Hulnifa, take it easy and lots of self love, my friends. Episode 5's postscript is brought to you by periods and waking up with a bit of a cold. <laughs>、um, I woke up kind of feeling like symptomatic of、uh, just battling this cold I've been dealing with for a week that I just can't kick. And、um, thinking about how I work through moments when my body is kind of challenged and mentally and cognitively, I'm a little bit fuzzy and thinking about my own personal experiences of、um, being in my moon time on ceremony and how that really, you know, moves my hormones and bodies in ways that just sometimes doesn't allow me to be present or I feel like I'm working in systems that don't allow me to be present. And I wrote, This rant and slapped it on Facebook. So here we go. If men got periods and had radical hormone fluctuations, there would be seven federally paid days off a month, 12 months a year, no questions asked. They'd call it manpower rest time and be like, I've got f- internal bleeding. Who the fuck would work under these circumstances? 
Here's to all the women, spelt with an X, powering through work, whilst refreshing organs and dealing with significant cycle transitions as Ted from sales natters on about some PowerPoint while we mentally plan another undetected purse-to-hand spy tampon bathroom mission before we bleed out on a fucking boardroom meeting chair. As a director... I tell the company when my body is in ceremony, and I'm conscious of sufficient breaks to ensure I don't position women to have to stress out about being uncomfortable or distressed at work. I will not let colonialism undermine the honor it is to be gifted this renewal cycle and the honor it is to share space with women who are in ceremony. Also, when did it become okay to let all the tampon machines in the fucking world to not be restocked since like 1994? Stop coming for our dignity and put some goddamn tampons in your washrooms, people. And we'll talk to Susan who tries to take them all the time. Oh, wait. Maybe you should pay Susan enough so she doesn't feel like she has to take tampons all the time. Or actually... Feminine life-giving cycle products should be free for all women because if you can buy a pipeline, you can buy some tampons. The Uvic Longhouse has a variety of products for women in their washrooms always. It really angers me that indigenous peoples got called uncivilized by settlers, especially when we've been so conscious and respectful about holding our women and our ceremonies up and completely unconscious patriarchal-centered people like Ted go on and on and on and on. Next slide. Hashtag indigenous matriarchy, hashtag life givers, hashtag indigenous theater. Now, if you... (laughs) Sometimes it just feels so good to get those out. Now, I know there are many bodies and many experiences and many people who have personal journeys of working through mental, physical, spiritual, uh, transitional struggles. Uh, And if you want to send me a message about yours (laughs) um, and how you deal with them and things that workplaces, environments, and systems could do to change them to make you feel comfortable, send me a note, post on Facebook, and let's continue this very important conversation. Bye, Slacks. Peace.